Coming up tonight, we talk about all the latest AFL news, including the removal of the cola, Andrew Demetrio's retirement, and the latest in the Essendon saga developments. All that and more, coming right up. Welcome to another episode of the Big Footy Podcast. I am, of course, the Wookiee with me tonight. I have the pleasure of Cookson being with me. Good evening, Cookson. Hello, guys. <laughs> and uh, I'm also joined by the Evergreen Messenger. Evergreen now. Oh, evergreen. I'm going to You're find something to describe tree. you. I'm not a tree. But evergreens are beautiful. <laughs> now, now I'm getting creeped out. I hope you've all had a good week, guys, because there's a lot to talk about this week. What looked like it was going to be a quiet week for football, you know, the 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 lull between the NAB challenge and the season actually starting seems to have had a bit of a kick to it during the week, uh, a bit like a cheap vodka. And uh, so, guys, what do you think has been the highlight for you in the news this week? And perhaps Messenger, we'll start with you. Look, I've had a highlight, but I've also had a low light, Wookie, and, and and I hope you can indulge me for a moment or two. First of all, I think the the highlight was, uh, I think the NAB Cup in general. It was a great, great setup. Hit hit a lot of the right marks. Just just competitive enough. Plenty of time for the players. No tin cup. I think it was a good program. But but I something came up during the NAB Cup which I thought was was pretty disturbing. Um, the return of the top knot hairstyle. Um, <laughs> I, I was very concerned by that. Uh, Michael Hurley being perhaps the the worst uh, worst protagonist to this. Put it this way: unless you're an actual samurai or you're a cast member of a Gilbert and Sullivan musical, you have no place wearing a bloody top knot. Okay. Stop it now. Stop. A little bit of angst there from Messenger. Anger. Oh, I was angry. I was angry. <laughs> the rage, rage against hipsters. Rage, rage against top knots. More angst than Spider-Man in the new Spider-Man movies. Yes. <laughs> Cookson, what caught your eye this week, mate? Oh, probably seeing Robbo's rants on 360. That was pretty <laughs> funny. Yeah. There's nothing funnier than a drunken guy going off his rocker. He did. Low light. He did not make a lot of sense, to be honest, did he? No, he did not. <laughs> but that does... Um... Sorry, you were saying? Oh, just the lowlights. Probably the fact that 
Well, let's see. Jack Steven dropped that barbell on his foot and probably broken foot. And everything's gone to shit, so whatever. This season's gonna be crap. I'll be getting more drunk than Robbo. <laughs> yeah. I, I think uh, it's it's very hard to tell anything from the NAB Challenge, as we all know, but St Kilda's future doesn't look all that bright this year. I, I, I think we can say with some certainty that St Kilda are not good at professional football. <laughs> Sorry, Cookson. It's going to be one of those nights. So it it has been a relatively uh, busy week since Sunday. Uh, obviously, on Sunday, the uh, Herald Sun opted to name the twelve Essendon players or fourteen Essendon players that were apparently named in the interim report last year that everyone seems to have known about, but apparently everyone collectively signed confidentially uh, confidentiality agreements over and. Uh, spotted a bit of a, uh, a a retort in the age about how no one's respecting confidentiality anymore and so um Jared Waitley uh, pronouncing his uh, distaste for the leak uh, which is pretty funny given his uh, partner on AFL 360 is the one who did the leaking so wh- what do we think about the whole Essendon leak situation well I, I just don't see how it furthers the discussion. And I've heard Robbo's defence of this, and then Mike Sheehan has backed him up, surprisingly enough, tonight. And he seems to be saying, well, we're not saying they were drug cheats. We're saying that they were the ones who were questioned by Asada and that they admitted that they may have been injected with something. Well, to me, it's a distinction without a difference. You've named these guys. You've, you've put them out there before... Um, before due, due process has taken place. And these guys spoke under the condition of anonymity, under the condition of privacy, unless they were actually served in fraction notices. So I, I think it's a very, very weak defence on, on the part of the Herald Sun. And uh, I, I think in a few months he'll, he'll regret having done that. I'm not sure it's quite in Dylan Howard buying stolen medical records territory, but it, it's, um, it's still... it's a very, very poor decision, I think, on that Herald Sun's part. Yeah, I, I agree. Except there was probably just one big flaw of any argument involving it, really. is just one of them was Joe Watson, and we've kind of known that Joe Watson was did it, so it's really revealing 13. But against this poor form, and we saw the same with Ahmed Saad last year, how I think it was a Caroline Wilson or the age who let her rip, I wasn't sure. But yeah, it's just. You just want to. You should. We need to keep all this in house and just wait and just let the due process happen. And if they're guilty, then announce it. Well, that was going to be my next question. I mean, how does this compare to the Armored Sard situation last year, where he was pretty much out in the open and hung out to dry from the word go? It's. Uh, it it does seem to be a little bit of a double standard on behalf of the age, at least. And, and Jack Treng- Trengove, and, and there was another Melbourne player as well who were mm. named. Um, last year, there was no hiding, you know, for these guys. I do think, uh, I, I look, I don't care if they're named or not, to be honest. And I'm a bit harsh on this. Um, I've got some very strong opinions on what's gone down, obviously. And in, in one respect, I do agree that, you know, at the end of the day, um, Essendon stuffed this up. This is Essendon's mistake, and I don't think that naming the twelve players is uh, really as cardinal a sin as people seem to think it is, but, you know, if they gave it under a confidentiality, ugh, if they gave it assuming confidentiality, then that should have been respected. 
That said, who gives confident who gives confidential on you know interviews and then hands out fifty copies of it? True. So you know you trust no secrets to but a city. Also, also, I think they're in the thing that they could be snitching on each other too. So I just want to point that out. So there could be a disharmonious dressing room at Essendon. Well, I'm not sure if it was Messenger mm. or his mate Eccles in the uh, Hot Topic board that was saying that they believe it's Essendon. Or was it, uh, if, was it Chief, I, actually? Might have been no, Chief. No, it, I, I believe that may well have been respected Hawthorne moderator Eccles. And, uh, and long-time Essendon fan. Yes, he's lover of all things <laughs> Windy Hill. In fact, he, he may have even lived within 10 kilometres of the ground at some point in his life. Uh, much to everybody's uh, amusement on the Hawthorne board. But, um, yeah, I, I don't know. I mean, it, it, it doesn't really matter who leaked it, does it? I mean, that's sort of beside the point. You, you get The Herald Sun got the information and they have made a value judgment that this was in the public interest, and I'm just not sure that's true. I, I just don't believe that's I, true. Look, I don't... Public interest is such a hard thing to gauge. I think we all want to... I, I think as an interest, we want to know what's going on. But yeah, whether but, that's, but that's whether we need that. to know is another story. That's not the public interest, capital P, capital I. That's what the public find interesting. That's different. Yeah. I, I, it, has, has, it, has, it furthered the, has it furthered the discussion or the investigation about it, knowing who, who it is? No. Not really. No. I mean, so in that respect, it's really prurient interest, I think. It's just given us a list of more players to boo, apart from Joe Watson... Because you've got Hurley. What what do, what do you make then of Essendon briefing its players on the Saturday that it was obviously going to come out, and then Paul Little's uh, response uh, wasn't really what you'd expect in that situation. I don't think he conde- I mean, he condemned the leak, but why would you do it the way it was done? Sorry, I, I'm not exactly. I do remember hearing what he said, but in what way would you? In what, what are you talking about precisely? There seems to be something odd in the, for me, for, in the way that the players were briefed on the Saturday that the leaks were coming out, and then there was no comment from Essendon until Sunday night on the story at, at all. And then in that, and in that case, it was a letter to the members of the yeah. Essendon Football Club. Who informed Essendon of the leak that the leak was going to happen? Well, they must have. Uh, the Herald Sun would have submitted the story to Essendon yeah. for comment. That's pretty standard practice. Well, oh. just said, look, we've got we've got the names. These are the names, and we're going to publish. Do you have anything to say about it? Mm. Oh, that goes my conspiracy theory then. Oh, it, it's it it depends who like who leaked. Like if I don't no, it doesn't matter who leaked because everyone had copies of this. So it could have been anybody in this situation. Well, sorry, when you say anybody, everybody had copies. There were who would this have been distributed to? Well, evidently, oh, having, having said this, Robo is saying quite clearly he has not seen the report. He got the names from somewhere. Yes, and and no one and no one is disputing that those names are on it. That's the that's what's come out for me. Well, actually, I think Essendon might have disputed the names that are on it today, but no one else is disputing the names that are on it. No one's saying, look, these names are clearly wrong. Um, you know, the Age could have said that. Uh, so, the Caroline Wilson's apparently had copies of it for you know. Christ knows how long. The AFL would have copies of it. The club would have copies of it. The AFLPA would have copies of it. The interim report was fairly widely distributed, I believe. It's, 
But isn't so, it interesting that a number of media organisations made the choice not to publish it? Well, AFL.com.au won't publish it either. Well, you don't imagine that the the Pravda would, but but um, Pravda. <laughs> do you like that? Um, I'm not surprised. Know, but they all make value judgments about it, and 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 the same thing. This is, and we go back to, I mean, of course, I've got skin in this game, but the whole thing with Dylan Howard and Channel Seven, and that 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 stuff was shopped to a number of different people, and it was shopped to Fairfax, and it was shopped to the to Herald Sun. And these people put their hands up and said, "No, we would not publish that. It's it's clearly stolen." And it was only somebody who had the uh, moral rectitude of um, somebody with, with very little moral rectitude who said, "No, no, no, we'll we'll, we'll run it because you know it's in the, it's what the public find interesting." So yeah. okay, so if we leave that behind us for a second, what what did come out of this all is that and that in the Senate Estimates Committee where um, Andrushka the head of uh, ASADA basically said, look, we've reached a certain stage, we're moving on to the next stage now. Um, what we have been told is that, uh, and we got this from uh, Essendon's website, uh, this week the club received information that stage one of the Essen, uh, ASADA investigation process has now concluded, stage two, the review stage uh, will now begin, and this is following standard ASADA procedure. Um, so there's been a federal court judge that's been appointed uh, to review uh, ASADA's procedure. But for all intents and purposes, the investigative process is now over. So, end now, in sight, maybe. So, now, Wookie, I, I ask you this because I didn't sit down and watch the Senate estimates hearing. I imagine you did while you were perusing the financial report of GWS, as is your want. But did somebody <laughs> ask Aurora Andruska, Miss Andruska, have you interviewed Stephen Dank? <laughs> They haven't, apparently. Oh, come on! I mean... I'm, 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 look, I'm led to believe that they haven't interviewed, but whether there's been a categorical denial from Asada that that's the case, I'm not entirely sure. Um, all we know is that they've concluded the investigative side of things, and now it's reviews and recommendations to various panels and things like that, and we'll see where it goes from there. So there's, there's two conclusions to be drawn from that. One, they have a vast abundance of evidence so damning that they didn't need to interview him. Or two, they're the gang who couldn't shoot straight. Or they interviewed him and no one's not, and no one's been told yet. I don't, I, I don't understand why they would... If, they weren't, if the question was asked, and I gather it wasn't, why they would deny inter, having interviewed him. Yeah, look, it doesn't make a lot of sense to me. Given no. that they had all the all the, the the big comments on uh, on Sunday on offsiders were basically that he did like Asada have the power to do so and they appear not to have used it. Why that's which makes no sense yeah. if the investigation's done now unless they specifically haven't brought it up and Stephen Dank's been fairly quiet about it. Um, apparently he's due to speak at a sportsman's night or he was going to the AFL apparently came down uh, uh, really hard on the Riddle Creek uh, Football League cause, you know, and said, look, you can't you can't have them here. We're going to penalise you if you do. <laughs> to which uh, the Riddle Creek Football League chairman basically told the AFL to get really? stuffed because apparently they gave them the option of replacing uh, Stephen Dank with, you know, someone from the AFL 
and the AFL declined to send somebody along. So Riddle Creek said, look, we're going to keep Dank on. You know, we've sold tickets to this and uh, you can get stuffed. So good on Riddle fair Creek. Enough. Well, that's fair enough too. Yep. Fair enough. Now, uh, the AFLPA came out and uh, said that they condemn in the strongest possible terms the publishing of the names and photos of current and former resident players. So that's the thing. It did come with a big photo spread as well. Um, and where else? Uh, what else we got here? The captains came out today and basically said that it's not on. It is a view of the captains of all 18 AFL clubs that the decision to name and publish photos of current and former Essendon football club players in the press on Sunday falls short of the standards of respect and decency that we hope would characterise the relationship between players and the media. And that was uh, Matthew Pavlich talking today. So I, don't, I, don't, I really don't think all captains think about that. I'm thinking captains and the other players, I think... Well, would they actually have knowledge of the players who took them, or the 12 players? That oh, I, think they, I think everyone would now. I think they could very easily put themselves in those players' positions and say, what if that were me? Mm. So, uh, Essendon are outraged, AFLPAs outraged, uh, averaged, outraged, and, uh, you know, pretty much everyone is outraged, except for Mark Robinson, who was outraged at Essendon for being outraged at him. <laughs> But, uh, I mean, even even uh, Jared Waitley just said, Look, we've got to agree to disagree on this one. It's it's out there. Whether he gets penalised for it or not, I mean, I'm not sure if there's a legal break in this. or I mean, we don't have the same media rights uh, protections that uh, US print journalists do. So you, you, you can't just go around printing whatever the hell you like f- under free speech. It doesn't apply in Australia. So, we'll see where it goes. I'm waiting for Robbo to have a meltdown. Yeah, that, and that... I, th- I, think, I wonder if he's going to go to a club and they're not going to let... And nobody's going to speak to him. I wonder if the Herald Sun is going to go to a club if this keeps up and not get... Uh... See, I... the Herald Sun is actually an official sponsor of the Essendon Football Club as well. Yes. That's and... just ironic. So well, um, the, the, it, it's going to be uh, rather interesting well, to uh, I see how that goes. Well, I noticed on AFL 360 that when uh, that Waitley interviewed Mark Thompson on his own yes, uh, before the show, uh, although Robbo was at the, the launch today, but I, I just wonder, I just wonder whether he's going to go to a club and people aren't going to speak to him. He's certainly not going to be going to Windy Hill. Hmm... It can't make it easy to be chief football writer when people won't talk to you. How about that? But then again, I mean, Carol Wilson survived despite North Melbourne not talking to her for five or six years, so... Go figure. Anyway, well, we're going to... Has gonna... Hutchie been down to St Kilda recently? Cookson? Not that I'm aware of. No. <laughs> Hutchie's not going to go down to Seaford. He probably... Isn't even going to get he, the south further south he's gone is South Yarra. No one is going to go to Seaford. The players of the St Kilda Football Club don't want to go to Seaford. Yes, you know, yeah. apparently some, something to do with the coffee quality not being good enough. That, that's just that's just being respectful to Seaford, saying it's your town's a complete and utter shithole. I lived in Seaford once, and <laughs> my mother was born in Seaford. You bastard! I, I I literally did live in Seaford at one point. 
and, uh, Actually, that's not true. My mother did what was important. It was, uh, you know, I may may well have known your mother back then. Oh, God, I hope not. <laughs> How old your mother, Messenger? Much older than you. Oh, it doesn't mean I didn't know her. It's, shit, it's, I, shit, I'm older than you. What it, are you talking it's about? It's the whole Frankston area. <laughs> Messenger, you don't want to know what people get up to up there. I apologise to any of our listeners from Frankston. But or as I know it, it Franganistan. It really is a shithole. Um, <laughs> oh, I'm never going. I'm so good, uh, and it speaks. It speaks heaps for me that I was so happy to get to Adelaide <laughs> after leaving Frankston. <laughs> so uh, anyway, promotion in the There goes a quarter of our audience. Um, <laughs> Meh. Now, this, uh, the second big piece of news, obviously, this week was Andrew Demetriou, um, and he stood down on Monday. Well, he will. He announced on Monday he will stand down at the end of the season, and there were shouts of rejoicing reverberating throughout uh, the football uh, forums and community, particularly on Big Footy, uh, where the consensus appears to be that he's ruined football for everyone and that the sooner he's gone, the better. Um, and a lot of those complaints seem to be around, uh, obviously, the handling of, handling of tanking and salary cap uh, issues, as well as the Essendon stuff last year, but also rule obligations, which is why I find it curious that no one is talking about Kevin Bartlett standing down from the Rules Committee. But that's another story. <laughs> Man, I was going to buy champagne at that announcement. So, um... Messenger first, Andrew Demetrio standing down. What do you think? Well, Mike Fitzpatrick said that the, the, the role of the CEO is to or the, 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 the 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 measuring stick for the CEO, the, the benchmark is did he leave the game in a better state than he found it? And, and I think he probably has. I mean, you could argue about uh, whether all the things he did were well, and I think the tanking things are a big black mark against his name. The, it was almost uh, Iraqi uh, information minister territory there for a while, but but um, he's been very very brave with his expansion. I think what how would uh, Sir Humphrey put it? Uh, very courageous minister uh, about GWS and mm. Gold Coast, and and we won't know whether they work for for a few years yet. Um, but the TV rights deals, um, the uh, data deals for um, transmitting images. Yeah. These are the things that will ultimately grow the game, and it's a, it's the the rising tide that the the, the rising tide that uh, floats all ships. So mm. um, he can probably say, I think in in balance, it's he's been a positive for the game. Yep, and Cookson uh, for the smaller clubs in particular, I think Andrew Demetrio has been a not so much a saviour, but a constant for them. Once he got over the whole go- North to Gold Coast thing, and he did get over that fairly rapidly for the AFL. But uh, f- as far as the the smaller Melbourne clubs are concerned, I think his assurances that they would be able to keep going as long as he was in charge, that must have been good for clubs like St Kilda. Yeah, pretty much, except we were... I don't think we were in any danger of that happening because we were well, in our grand final years during then. But mm-hmm. what I see is that he was very good in the business sense in terms of generating profits and all that but I think he was not good at the footballing side as such I mean some of his administration in football was the tanking, the Essendon stuff, just 
it wasn't as good as what it should have been from him. And I personally did feel that he did chase money far too much with the bonuses at the commission and Andrew Demetriou got with the increase of profits and just just it's my opinion on it he just he lacked a certain something on the footballing side but brilliant on the business side Fair ultimately enough. his job is the business side though that's his job and yeah. that's that's what I'm that's what I'm going to talk a bit about now just uh I mean I understand where you guys are coming from and I'm going to play devil's advocate here a little bit which I've been doing on the forum for a couple of days now but um as far as his business he's a CEO so his, his job is to look after and protect and grow the business. Um, and in terms of doing that, uh, he took revenue massively from, I, I think, $300 million to $500 million. Um, he did He took uh, TV rights revenue from where it was in 2002, where we just signed a $500 million deal to $1.25 billion last year uh, in 2011. These are massive increases, like in, in in for any business, yeah. Let alone sport memberships up from four hundred thousand to seven hundred and fifty thousand. If you take away access members and apply the same measurements, it's about six hundred and ninety thousand last year. So either way, it's up massively. We're talking like two hundred percent here. So some of the figures, uh, you have to see them to believe them. And I think that's what the remuneration committee of the commission looks at when they're deciding to pay him $3.8 million for last year. Um, so it's, it's, it's a bit hard to swallow, but I think that's what you pay to get the best people into the job. Well, he was he, his base salary is about $1.5 million. Yeah, $1.7 $1. million last year. Yeah, so, so he's made a one-off bonus of $2 million as part of that 3.8, which was for... And it's based around him being there for 10 years. And, yeah, long service. Crap. Yeah. So, I mean, he's been there a while. The only figure that's gone backwards in that time is average crowd attendances. Um, And that's solely due to uh, the introduction of two new clubs. That happens. Then teams go in to get stadium deals. Now, the one thing that Kennett did say was, uh, Jeff Kennett was saying yesterday, is that he was exceptionally good at getting money out of the government, like forming partnerships with the government. Uh, no one else has ever been able to pull off the kind of stadium agreements that he's he's been able to do. The deal that he got for Gold Coast in um, at, at Carrara is phenomenal, apparently. It's like $400 million. Well, oh. a, a massive stadium, and then they paid $10 million for uh, basically for management rights for the next 20 years. It's, um, you know, single-handedly apparently putting Gold Coast into profit, although that's not something I'm actually able to confirm. And, and look, Hawthorne probably haven't had the best relationship with the AFL over the last few years. They they really, the AFL were keen for them not to re-sign with Tasmania a few years ago, and, and we essentially went out and, and did it in spite of the AFL rather than with the AFL support. But he does turn the other cheek fairly quickly, I guess. And, which, is, um, which is what I was saying about the Gold Coast thing. Once he figures out that it's done and there's not a lot he can do about it, there's not a lot of bitterness afterward. He moves on. Yeah, it's all right. There's no grudges. Yeah, he's, he's very much operating like a business. He knows what he wants, and when that doesn't eventuate, he will move on to plan B or whatever the next stage of that plan is. Well, I guess, and this is the what, one of the tensions on the board when you talk about Demetrius. It's, it's not, he's not treating it like a business. It is a business. That's exactly <laughs> and it. He, and he's got to deal with it like that. And, and, 
and okay, people have emotional attachments to clubs, and, and we all do as well. Um, but ultimately, his job there is not about the jumper, it's about the, the state of the game. And and, um, and I think um, we're sort of moving to that realisation that really this is a business, much like the NFL is a business in the States and, exactly. and the NBA. Yeah. So the biggest complaints people put onto the forum uh, over the last couple of days have been his handling of, uh, and I just want to run through them very quickly, um, the tanking issue, um, which yep. you guys have brought up. And I think what we got with this, what we got to was we wanted an idea where someone would come out and say, look, this is what the problem is and this is how we're going to fix it or this is what we're going to do to fix it and this is the penalty for breaking the rule. Um, from my reading of the situation, for the AFL to actually come out and say there is tanking in the ranks, um, it opens up some interesting legal issues for the competition, not least of which is an investigation by the gambling minister, uh, the Victorian gambling minister, and uh, some other organisations that the league doesn't want looking into uh, the competition. So... But the tension about tanking, though, is also is that that lotteries don't help tanking. Yeah. Ultimately... Yeah, I, th- I, you, I understand that was a big part of it. And but that's, the way they handled the whole Melbourne thing was just ludicrous. I, I I just, said, they're not guilty of anything, but we're going to penalise them for something. I'm not saying it was ideal, but I'm saying the league cannot... At, get up and go, yes, there's tanking, we're penalising people for tanking. There's uh, there's ramifications far beyond the league that uh, no one wants to really get into. And that takes you into the salary cap problems at Adelaide, where people are annoyed that there was negotiated penalties and everything like that, but there was no other way that that was going to be not going to be the case. The league cannot afford for the salary cap to be taken to court, where it is more than likely going to be found legal. And at the same time, it challenges the draft. The draft will be found illegal because they're all restraints of trade. So the league cannot have those things go to court. There's too big a risk involved, and so they were always going to be negotiated. doesn't matter what. It, do, it doesn't matter how offended people gonna, were going to get about that. That was always going to end up as a negotiated penalty. Well, I didn't find that Adelaide thing to be bad. I just said... I just think it lacked communication on both fronts. This... It's the problem. This is the problem, though. You can't come out yeah. and say, yes, there's salary, <laughs> you know, yes, there's yeah. salary cap cheating going on, but, uh, you know, we're, we're, you know it, we, there's tanking the salary cap. It basically, we all know there was, and we know they got fined for it, and I think that's where it was supposed to end. See no evil, hear no evil. Well, that's how it comes across, but I don't think that's how it. And, and that's with the the tanking thing in particular. Um, I think that's where we were all a little bit annoyed because there was no changes to the draft. There was no changes to the way that the draft was organised, so you didn't have that incentive in the first place. So the AFL created an environment, and then didn't, didn't do anything to rectify that once the Melbourne situation. Didn't they change priority kick rule afterwards? They they did some minor tweaks to the draft, but. The fact is the AFL created that environment in the first place, and that's what people are more annoyed at, I think. With the Essen, with the Essendon situation last year, um, pe- people complain about the way the AFL handled it last year, and I'm not entirely sure that um, the AFL could have sat on its hands and said nothing all year last year. They had that prerogative. 
They didn't have to say anything while the investigation was in process. People say that Demetrio tipped off Essendon. Um, that's denied not just by Demetrio. That's desi- uh, denied by the guy he's supposed to have called. It's denied by the people who were supposed to have given him the information in the first place to tip Essendon off with. Um, and at the end of the day, I'm not entirely sure that that's a big factor in the investigation in any case. Then there's also, and there's also the 2011 farce of meatloaf. <laughs> yeah, that's the pro- <sighs> grand final entertainment has always been hit and miss though. You can't really lay that solely at the feet of Demetrio. Yeah. The, the AFL has never go. really got that 100%. And part of it's to do with being a daytime grand final. Part of it's to do with every now and then the AFL gets a bit of cultural cringe about it. And we end up trying to get in some big foreigner. And, and we hired an old guy. He was terrible. Well, you know, Lionel Richie's not much younger than Meatloaf. He was pretty good. But he was very good. So, and it's probably also another thing that hasn't really been fixed is the clash kits. It's just, it's beyond terrible how bad it is today. But I mean, you, you go back to 91 and um, uh, Messenger will remember the grand final in 91 and whoever bought out the Batmobile and Angry Anderson uh, is probably going to hold the uh, hold the record for the worst tasting grand final entertainment. Probably for all. Probably for all. Probably for all. No, no, don't. No, no, no. This is a bridge too far now. Oh, is this it now? This is a bridge too far. Bound for Glory. The Batmobile and Angry Anderson. Bound for Glory is a gift to 90s football forever. <laughs> it is. It's a gift. I'm not saying it wasn't entertaining, Messenger. I was watching the grand final that day. And, and one the of the pain few... pain made me strong. <laughs> I know what's right. I know what's wrong. Yes, I know. Bound for Glory. I'm familiar with song messenger it was bad but it was good we'll call no, it no, 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 no. it was good and it was good and he sang it on the batmobile okay it wasn't black in that batman he dismounted the batmobile mid-song <laughs> you cannot you cannot juxtapose that much cool and angry anderson that much cool in the batmobile and not have it be double cool i mean that was just it was a thing of beauty. Power slides. Listen, listen, listen. It was a thing of beauty, and I'll never hear anything against it again. It's it's outrageous. Outrageous. Yeah. I know what's right. I know what's wrong. <laughs> for glory. Uh, if Hawthorne lost that grand final, you would not be thinking the same. I can guarantee that. If Hawthorne lost that grand final, I would have actually purged it from my memory. And I would be sitting here saying, what? I don't know what you're talking about. So I assume the Batmobile's in your backyard. I've seen the Bat... I think it might be the Batmobile that's at Movie World. (laughs) Not Wobby's World. (laughs) (laughs) I won't have anything said against Wobby's World either, by the way. I love that bloody helicopter. (laughs) I think I saw a picture of that uh, uh, on Google Maps. It's sitting off the highway at Cranbourne or something. Oh, really? Yeah. Think it would fit in the back of my car? <laughs> Don't know. Something to take home to the kids. Probably already been stolen. It's at Cranbourne. It's been stolen already. I don't know where it's at. I saw a picture of it on the side of the road somewhere a couple of months back. Yeah, no, nothing about Cranbourne. My mother's from Cranbourne. It's very close to Frankston. My mother's from Frankston too. <laughs> in fact, there's. I in fact, to... I'm going to Cran- Cranbourne this weekend. I've got to go to Casey Fields. Ah, Have yeah. Fun with that. You get oh. stabbed. No. Yeah, it's... It's no. Everyone gets stabbed. 
<laughs> Apple Park referred to as Needle Park. Needle Park. That's that's outrageous. <laughs> I'm not joking. My mate grew up in Grammar, and it's like, oh, it's like, and his mom was like, oh, don't go there. You'll get stabbed, and there's HIV needles all over it. That that does bring me to the weekend's practice matches, though. And uh, oh, Mel- yes. Melbourne obviously playing Hawthorne at uh, Casey Fields, as alluded to by Messenger. Yes. Um, it's been nice knowing you. And yes. um, <laughs> follow me. Yes. I think the the big one though um, is Richmond playing Essendon at, at uh, Punt Road. Road. First uh, first VFL game they've had there for some time. Um, not first AFL game of any of any kind that they've had there for some time. Good luck getting a parking spot. There's only two and a half thousand seats and it's sold out. So yeah. uh, it will be live streamed apparently from one o'clock on uh, Friday, Friday afternoon. Yep. I think most of the games are. No, the only one, only other one that I know of is the GWS Adelaide game that is being streamed live from two o'clock on Friday afternoon as well. Apparently, Port Adelaide St Kilda's live streamed. I haven't seen an announcement for that, but it's possible. And what are the other guys? Carlton are playing the Bulldogs. Is that correct? Uh, I thought that was last week, but maybe I don't know. I think they're playing at Vizzy Park. They are. Yes. No, you're right. That's on Saturday, I think. Yeah. So. Yeah, a few practice games going on this weekend. I think Collingwood uh, wrapped theirs up last week against Gold Coast, and they are uh, they're getting settled in for the season. I think most other clubs are taking the week off. Yeah, well, I think I, I think it depends on whether you're playing in the first or second week of the of the split round, doesn't it? It does. I think West Coast are playing Fremantle. Um, Again. Yeah. Yes, but the, it's the game. It's a game they organise themselves. It's not part of the NAB Challenge series because that was one of the big complaints that the West Coast and and Frio guys had was that they were playing twice in the preseason. But, you know, no one's making them play each other. They're choosing to do that. I mean, they could play someone from the Waffle for all that mattered for a preseason game, surely. The other option is they could just shut up. (laughs) (laughs) That ain't going to happen. It's always the West Australians, really. That's right. We we love the West Australians. Now, um, what else? Matt Finney, he's been appointed CEO Ah, of St Kilda. Yes, Matt Finnis. I'm not going to be appointed. I'm not going to take the St Kilda job. Is now going to the St Kilda Football Club. Good for him. What do you What do you think about that, Cookson? Oh. I don't know much about him, but it seems like a good appointment. I mean, he'll be young, he'll be ambitious, good relations with the players straight off the bat, so that's a tick. Matt, sorry, sorry, Cookson, what is the first thing Matt Finnis has to do? Well, set up his office, I would assume, but... Uh... <laughs> Make sure he's got Word installed on his laptop. <laughs> yeah. Make sure the coffee machine's working. On. Make sure he actually has an office at Linen House. Yes, add, 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 add blocker on on Big Footy. Um, so, seriously, what kind of name is Linen House? It doesn't really inspire fear in anyone, does it? Sponsor's like, name. <laughs> like like Busy Park and the and the Rico Centre. <laughs> the Rico Centre. That's that's what Waverley's technically called. Yep. After Rico, the um, I don't know what they do now. They make photocopiers or something. No, I don't know. The cameras, photocopiers. Yeah. Yeah. All um, sorts of dodgy he, stuff. What's he, what's he got, what has he got to do? Because, I mean, St Kilda are in a 
I guess, relatively perilous position as Victorians club, clubs go. So, so this is probably the most important appointment they're going to make outside of their coach in the next five years. If he can't make it work, they've got big problems. What's yeah. he got to do? Probably, probably improve the brand, I guess. I mean, just get more sponsorship in, get more fans coming in, because apparently we've given something like 20,000 tickets to GWS, uh, St Kilda versus GWS. You've given? Yeah, gave away 20, that, I shit you not. The is, that for, is that for round one, is it, or what's that for? Round two. It's because we had this, we got more proactive in the Bayside and Moorabba niche hmm. area, and apparently just they were just randomly handing out tickets. That's apparently what people on Saints Board are saying, but it's like 20,000, so... Are they saying that in a good way or a oh my god way? I think it's. <laughs> I don't know. We're not making money at Eddie so we might as well just say, hey, why not? Chuck. Free stuff. Oh my god, half of Cranbourne will be at the ground with me. Is, is he going to bring St Kilda back I, to Moorabbin, Cookson? I would assume so because I think the plan's always been to go back to Moorabbin because apparently Rod. Butters had a massive falling out with the Kingston City Council or something along those lines. Over, over pokies, I believe. Yeah. Because yeah. I know our planned VFL team will be playing at Moorabbin. Pretty much all it just needs to do is get better facilities in there and the players want to go back, the fans want to go back. It's just a matter of biding time at Seaford and selling it off. So do they own Seaford or are they renting it? I think it's a lease. I'm not sure. It's... What? What? Moorabbin? No, it's Seaford. No, uh, it's a lease. So they're lease. leasing two places. Well, they own Moorabbin Freehold. They have done. They were the first club to do so, I believe, from the 1960 or something. So if they own it and they're renting somewhere else, what are they doing with Moorabbin if they don't have it? It's just sitting there. <laughs> yeah. They train on it every now and then, I think. Um... Actually, no, who trained on it in the summer? Hawthorne trained on it. Well, someone's using yeah. it. Just facilities Moorabbin just weren't any good though and again the previous previous board had a bit of a falling out did some stupid things and as a result they got sacked so again but I think most Saints fans want to go back to Moorabbin as it's the spiritual home and all that it's just where we well again we've called us and killed a football club but we really haven't been... our home's Moorabbin and again it's probably just semantics but we don't want to change our name all right, we'll move on. Mike Sheehan and his top 50 began coming out today. Oh. So, I'm not sure whether the preseason one's like a prediction or is it just, oh, this is a top 50 from last year and will they do it? This was this was his uh, top 50. Mike, yeah. It says Mike Sheehan's top 50 is the original and best list of AFL talent. Since, uh, since Stephen Kernahan was named number one on Mike's first top 50 in 1990... Uh, that, that'd be debatable, wouldn't it? Surely. Anyway, <laughs> the list has provoked debate at the start of each AFL season, and this year will be no different. Coming in at number 50, Messenger. Yes. Cyril Rioli. Can I approach this from a slightly different direction? You, well, what, you want to go from number one? <laughs> well, I'll tell you what, this is what I tend to do. This is what I tend to do. I tend to start from the top and work my way down. And I get to the point, and I, and I rate the list based on when I get to the point where I go, oh, God, I cannot believe that they've done that, right? 
problem is everyone knows who number one is going to be. There's yeah, been... but number one, that's that's it's when you get down to the little things, and I got down, I got down to fourteen, right? Jared McVeigh is number fourteen. Okay, <laughs> I, I am, I am looking I mean. at Aaron okay. Sanderlands being number eight, but anyway. Yeah, see, I'm not, <laughs> I'm not that worried about. I know Sanderlands has been a big thing, but when I got to Jared McVeigh, and I'm not popular with Swan supporters already, so I don't care. Um, I got to that point, and then I saw Sam Mitchell at number eighteen. There does seem and to be thought, some surprises. Okay. Sam Mitchell should be yeah, in top ten. All right, so look, here's here's yes. the top ten, and, uh, uh, and number fifty. Go. All right, here's the top ten. Obviously, Gary Ablett's number one. I don't think yes. I, I don't think many people will dispute that. Five percent of people who overrated him, you're all complete <laughs> numpties. Yeah, no, I I, yeah, I I think he's a class above most people. Joel Selwood coming in at number two. Yeah, don't I really have a lot of problem with that. I mean, I he, he's definitely thereabouts, though. Personally, what's that? I thought it should be Pendleby personally, but that's just my opinion. But 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 he, but he is at least thereabouts. I mean, yeah. there's no you know same yeah. with Dangerfield, Pendlebury. You know, you could have Swan in there as well. I mean, these guys are all there and thereabouts. Nat Fife at number five. Yeah, I'm okay with that. Yep. Yeah. I don't I don't I, really follow the Frio guys enough to know, but he is he he does seem to be fairly highly rated. Uh. Travis Cloak at number seven. No, just how can you have a forward like the, I'm, I know I have Nick Rewalt who is a bit he was erratic, but a forward who can't kick straight is just completely is most of the time useless. I mean, if he can kick straight, yes, I will agree that he's a good. This is one of the best top ten players in the league. If he kicks like his normal stuff, it's top twenty at best. It's just. He's... On the, on the Herald Sun website, which allows you to vote underrated, agree, or overrated, Travis Cloak is scoring 77% overrated. Mm, it is, uh, and I, it is and interesting. I look down to the reigning Coleman medalist at number 10, and I wonder why their positions haven't been swapped around. It is interesting. Uh, and and it, does, it is interesting how Jared Ruffett is number 10 on there and, and Cloak's number 7, isn't it? Uh, Ryan Griffin at number 9? Yeah. Really? Well, could have been a touch higher, but again, he's in the top 10 players of the league. The only real problem with Griffin is that his eyes are too close together. I, th- I think the other thing that got me here... <laughs> <laughs> I think the other thing that got me here is the approval rating for Ablett's number one. Is it 88%? <laughs> like, yes. There's no, some people consider him underrated. Yeah, the the, uh, yeah. the, the 8%. <laughs> what, he could be like number zero... So, I mean, the, the, the ten, they're there or thereabouts. Travis Cloak may be the only really disputable one there in terms of his positioning. You go down, uh, Luke Hodge at 20. I, I'm not sure that's the best, given uh, McVeigh's at 14. Well, hang on, hang on. The, the, one, the egregious one in that group there. First of all, by, the way, <laughs> by the way, by the way, Mitchell's at 18 and, and McVeigh's at 14, right? Now, I like... Jared McVeigh's a good player. He is not... Number 14. The best player in the AFL. Give me strength. Right? The other one is... Lance Franklin has been top three in Mike's ratings forever. And now he's number 17. <laughs> and overrated at 72% apparently. <laughs> and, and I would say... And you know what? I, I personally think he's going to have a very good year. But um, I tell you what... 
It's um yeah, it's a it's a massive fall from grace. The Swans, Josh Kennedy at uh, eleven. Yeah, I was gonna say the Swans Josh Kennedy at eleven. Uh, uh, I don't know. Ahead of ahead of guys like Mundy and Hodge, I don't think so. Mm, I, I would say David Mundy's pretty severely underrated, but um, yes, yes, what Kieran we... Jack, yeah, Kieran Jack. Yeah. I'm ticking these as I go overrated. <laughs> so, <laughs> I'm just going to point out to you, just Trent Conchin at 21 just doesn't seem right for me. Like, it should be a bit lower. You think so? Yeah, yeah but, but who I mean, who would you knock down for that? I mean, obviously we're we're dropping like we're we're dropping cloak down the list and and guys like that. But I'd probably put him in at well, I'll probably knock down everyone. I'll put him in number thirteen, knock everyone down because I don't think Joe Wilson's gonna. He'll have a good season, but I think the drug scandal will weigh him down. So I think he's probably thirteen, and he's got magnificent hair. I mean, that's really should get him some points. Pavlich at thirty. Well, hang on. Pavlovich at 30, Scott Thompson at 22. Yeah, I can't subscribe. I mean, even Steve Johnson at 23, I can't subscribe to that. You think he's too low or too I high? Think he's, I think he's... I mean, I, th I think he's in that bracket, but I think he's too high in that bracket. I, I don't think he's... Um, I, I think he's a good player. I don't think he's better than Pavlovich. Stephen mm. Motlop at 25, that seems to be just... Motlop at 25 is overrated. <laughs> That's a joke. I mean, he's above... And seems to be, you know, 78% and now, and now it's 78% over it. Yeah, and when you on. think that Cyril Rioli is a bit more than that in a minute. Cyril Rioli is at 50. Yeah. And he's at 25. I mean, I need Geelong support. I just don't think... Guys like Cochin and uh, Pavlich, they're, they're a class above that group. Cameron at 24, if it's based solely on last year's results, maybe. I can't... Yeah. Uh, yeah, it doesn't seem like... But I think Chad Wingard's in a good spot. I mean, 29, yeah. that's... And, and he'll be higher by the end of the year. He's a very good footballer. Um, Brendan Goddard's had a bit of a fall it. from grace. 36. Brendan Goddard. <laughs> he went from... Let's let's be honest, though. Goddard hasn't really been the same since 2010. Mm. Now... I, I like Rory Sloan. I like Rory Sloan. I, I'm surprised he's that low. Mm. Um, and the other one that I find very interesting is what on earth is Steel Sidebottom doing in the top 50? That's <laughs> can you Can you remember a single thing that Steel Sidebottom has ever done on a football field in your life? He has the name Steel Sidebottom. He smiles very stupidly. How would you like? Do you like his hair, Cookson? Do you think maybe he could do a bit more something? Maybe he could go a top knot. Nah, that would hate you. But Cochin's hair remains exactly the same throughout a game of football. It's freaky. He's clearly the genetic relation of Ray Martin. Here's, here's one that'll get you going, uh, Messenger. Dustin oh. Martin ahead of Grant Birchall. I'm sorry. Is, are you saying that Dustin? Dustin Martin is ahead of Brent. Where's where are we now? 40, oh, going into the... Martin at forty-five, Birchall at forty-seven. Oh, I'm not terribly worried about that. <laughs> That's all right. That's okay. Grant Birchall is a very very fine footballer. Um, I am interested, however, to see. I think they might have put an imposter in the top fifty. Is that Lockie Henderson? I spy at forty-six. Yeah, he did have a good year. Oh, that's... He had a good year last year, but, uh... No. I mean, when you... 
he, he did have a good year last year. That's it's a the bit thing. Stupid. It's he's good, see. but he's not that good. All Australian ruckman Will Minson did not make this list. Yes, but Matthew Lunenberger did. Yes, <laughs> so, indeed. indeed. Matthew Lunenberger did. Aaron Sandlands did, but the All Australian ruckman, no, nah, not good enough, no. Chief. <laughs> oh, that's right. That's right. Um, oh, look, I mean, in all that, you could make value judgments about another ten or fifteen blokes who who didn't make the list, and I mean, ultimately, it's yeah. I, I'm not sure what sort of what purpose these lists. Well, it keeps it keeps Michael all. Sheen in a job. It gives us something to talk about in a podcast for five minutes. <laughs> it's water cooler discussion. It it is indeed. Dyson Heppel, first first woman to make the top fifty. <laughs> yeah, ahead of Chelsea Roffey. I'm disputing it to be honest. <laughs> <laughs> you know, oh, who's said? Who's fifteen percent of people? Fifty two percent of people say that Cyril Rioli is overrated. I think he is overrated, Messi. Yeah. I hate to say it, mate. He's, he's he's capable of doing a brilliant ten minutes of football, but he's usually not that visible for most of it. I mean, I to think, be honest, I think you'd both castrate yourself if you, if you could get him on your team. <laughs> I think you would. All right, and uh, you'd be liars if you said you wouldn't. Lockie Henderson, overrated seventy three percent. I've just contributed to that. Daniel Wells at forty one. <laughs> yeah. uh, he's all right. No,ハハハハハハハハハハハハハハハハハハハハハハハハハハハハハハハハハハハハハハハハハハハハハハハハハハハハハハハハハハハハハハハハハハハハハハハハハハハハハハハハハハハハハハハハハハハハハハハハハ
and there is an aspiration to pay the players more if affordable for the industry. Obviously, the AFLPA were at the meeting. Uh, suppl uh, supplementary funds are required in addition to increase revenue sharing to address stru uh, structural inequities, including the fixture cycle, stadia deals, supporter base sizes, and non-football businesses. I assume that the league will start paying cardboard cutouts to take out memberships for North Melbourne and St Kilda. Revenue sharing recipients must remain incentivised to grow and actively address causes of disadvantage. I thus expect the uh, Western Bulldogs Football Club to be visiting the uh, local hospitals and impregnating volunteering females to grow their supporter base in the future. So, so we can, we can, what we can actually do, let's translate that sentence for a moment. Yes. That sentence really means just because we've given you money, it doesn't mean you can just sit on your hands and wait for the cheque to come Exactly. In. Yes. So, um, so Cookson, we were just talking about your terrible board that left St Kilda recently. Would they have just made bigger, bad decisions if they had more money? Probably. <laughs> well, definitely. So, and this is my point, is that just because you've got more money doesn't mean you do better things with it. It just means that you the scope with which you can stuff things up is so much greater. Ultimately, you have to make good choices. Mm -hmm. So it's, And I noticed you saying that in the forum the other day, Messenger. Yeah. Um, it's not just enough to give them money. Um, they need proper oversight, I guess, which is what the AFL's supposed to be doing anyway. It's probably one thing, though, that the AFL really hasn't changed that I think I won't be changed but should be changed. It's the salary cap floor, which is what's set at 96%. Mm. I mean, that's... It's 97.5%. How is... Sorry, the floor is, the floor is set at 97.5%. That's the lowest yeah. you can pay. How is our... How is St. Kilda's, St. Kilda's team right now is not worth 97.5% of Hawthorne's? I've always had a problem with the floor yeah. in that I think it artificially increases wages, but that's what the AFLPA want. Well, the floor used to be 92. 92.5 was the last it ever got, yeah. and it was set so, for Fitzroy. But what, say, what used to happen, Cookson, is Hawthorne was a good example when they had a very young team, is that they would take, if Jared, Jared Ruffhead or Lance Franklin at the time, for example, had a three-year contract, they would essentially get 70% of their money in the first year. And then somebody else would get loaded up the next year and... And they would balance it out that way. I mean, and Hawthorne were one of the first teams that, that front-loaded a lot of contracts rather than back-loaded them yeah. just to meet the salary cap floor. And it just it doesn't seem that entirely... Uh, it probably does with the front-loading of caps, but it just seems to defeat the free agency purpose. I mean, I'll probably lower it to, like, 85. Well, I'll tell you what it stops teams doing. It stops teams doing is tanking and running out yeah. a bunch of kids and paying 65% of the cap. But what? Okay, here's the argument I've got. What if the club just simply cannot afford it? Well, if the club can't afford it, what are they doing in the league? Yeah, but what if you, you're pay, you're talking about what if a club wants to load up on experienced VFL players or experienced state league players, okay. and you could conceivably do that, and uh, you could take yes. you know players that haven't really been good enough to break into someone else's you know starting twenty two. And you could offer them, you know, just enough to make it into a, you know, in, into your league, just a, just a little bit more without having to pay them excessive amounts. You could put, you could put a reasonable team on the park for a lot less than what you're having to pay them compulsorily under the under the ninety seven point five percent rule. I well, don't believe that it's in the league that it's in the club's interest. And this is my biggest bugbear with the way that the AFLPA operates at the moment. People do not go to 
the football over a lengthy period of time to support players. Players help, but people go to support your club. People aren't running around... Like, people at Geelong didn't stop going to the football and didn't stop supporting Geelong when Ablett went to the Gold Coast. People haven't stopped following Hawthorne since Lance Franklin went to Sydney. People didn't, could drop off. People, well, didn't, people didn't stop following St Kilda when Lockett went to Sydney. Well, this, is, this would be the counter-argument. The counter-argument to this is if you think that you can construct a team out of bits and pieces of players, so you say Bendigo Gold comes to the AFL, how is that a way out for your club when you're putting a product on the park that is essentially uncompetitive? I think you should have the option, though. I, yes, think, I think as a club, and this is the one time in about 50 years I've agreed with Eddie Maguire, is that the players got their, you know, the players got their lift from you know nine from the 1999 and 2002 pay deals. They, they they really did. They got well looked after in those deals, and they've been looked after ever since. The clubs are on welfare. Well, half the clubs in the league are on welfare. It's time that the clubs got their fair share of the money that they put into the league. Because at the end of the day, they've still got to pay the players, they've still got to put the facilities up in the first place, and they've still got to put a team on the park. The players are out there looking at themselves, and, well, and you know, good on them for doing so. But the clubs got to last after the players retire. And that's what annoys me the most, is because clubs like North Melbourne and clubs like the Western Bulldogs they shouldn't have to pay 100% of the cat for players that aren't worth 100% of the cat. I think, yes, but in, a, in the normal cycle of a mature team where you have experienced players, you have players in their prime and you have younger players, you are inevitably going to be at the top end of the cap anyway. Now, you can argue that 97 is too high, and I wouldn't disagree with you. I think if you had it, say, 90 or 92.5 as it was, that's reasonable. But really... In a normal mature cycle team, you're going to pay that much money anyway. You're only talking about paying below that number if you are absolutely bottoming out, yep. or in your model, you've constructed a team of, of chances. I'm not, and, I'm not saying that you should be able to just go out and hire a state league side. That's I'm saying that there should be a, a minimum, but it should be a lot less than what it is now. Yeah, you should be able to put a team time. on the park for 75 percent of the cap. The club's got to have that option, and not to give them that option, that's... I, I personally believe if that went to court, that'd be restraint of trade. Yes, but if the club if the club is choosing that option, what are, what are they really choosing? They're choosing to suck water through a... suck air through a straw for a year. They're a club... They're a club... But it's, it, it's, it's, it's putting a tourniquet on, a, on a, what would be a clearly a, a bad financial situation. Yeah, but Messenger, there are clubs out there in other leagues that earn a lot more money than us, that pay a lot better. There are clubs in the NFL, for instance, who aren't paying anywhere near the top, and they're not going to get the premiership, but they're going to survive. There are, so club, you... there are clubs in soccer that have been around for, you know, a hundred odd years that aren't paying as much as Manchester United. They're not paying the amount that, that, you know, the players are getting at Everton and Liverpool. But they're going to survive, Messenger. Yeah, but they have different revenue streams. They also have the transfer market. But these pl- the, the clubs are going to survive because they've got the option of paying top dollar or they've got the option of playing bottom dollar if they need to. 
what's the difference between we talk and we're talking in actual numbers here what's the difference between uh 75 percent of the cap and 95 percent of the cap what's that 20 percent? what's that actually it's in dollar numbers it's about two, $2 million. million dollars it's about two million dollars and and what's the average losing what's the average uh loss for some of the, these clubs that are on on the spigot at the moment uh, it's about one and a half so really you're talking a difference between maybe break even and a, and a very very small profit Yeah, yes and no. I'd, I'd have to look at the figures a little bit more closely for that. I look, I, I understand what you're saying. It, it perpetuates a, a possible losing culture. Well, it's not just a losing culture. It's that you, you, if you're talking about actually generating revenue, because ultimately they might say, well, we have a cost problem because we spend too much on our labour. But really, what's the, what's the big issue is they have a revenue problem. They don't make enough money. They're putting a shit team on the park doesn't improve that. All it does is it, it, it cements it. Because you can say, well, who the hell's going to go and watch a three-win three, three win team? Yeah, but who the well, hell's watching them now anyway? Yes, but you're not, there's not, that's not a way out for them, though, is it? It's, it's a way to stay viable, though, and that's what concerns me more than anything else at the moment. Not every club is going to make, you know, millions and millions from sponsorship, and they don't now. You know, the, the gap between you know North Melbourne's $5 million sponsorship and Collingwood's $19 million sponsorship isn't the players they have on the park. Damn fans. There's all, there's all sorts of advantages that are going to have to be rectified through this. I'm not, I'm not, I'm not saying you're wrong, Messenger. I'm just saying that I have no I... idea what I'm talking about. No, 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 and you make a good point, but I... To me, allowing teams to do that is a is a band aid on a on an open wound. Sure. It's a, a, a on a gaping wound, and, and it, to me, it you know it's it, it fixes the balance sheet for twelve months, but it doesn't fix anything systemically. And fair enough. Okay, I, no, I can buy that. But this is the interesting thing here. We're talking about restraint to trade, and we're talking about um, uh, you know we can't we don't want clubs or players challenging this and now we're talking about limiting off-field spending and capping and putting in essentially like a, a luxury tax on off-field spending does this disadvantage clubs who have made their own way in the league well absolutely but given that a lot of that advantage derives from the way the fixtures set up and the rest of it derives from uh, poker machines um, which are legal, by the way. I, I'm not saying they're not, and I've, I've said that before. You know, it's a legal form of revenue, and as long as it remains so, you can't really. And, and even if the league decided that they couldn't, um, you know, they couldn't use pokey revenue anymore, and I don't see how the league can legally do that. I, I don't. Well, but I, I I can see clubs splitting operations anyway. So well, they, do what the NRL clubs do. They do already. I mean, you've seen the reports for... Well, Hawthorne's an example. They've got um, that joint venture out in Caroline yeah. Springs, and they've got the one... And that's, it's reported as a, a, a separate entity as part of a consolidated group. Yeah. I don't yeah. see how the AFL could say, well, you're not allowed to do that anymore. I mean, that's a restraint yeah, I, trade. I, yeah, I don't see a legal way for the AFL to do that unless pokies are outlawed. How much is the average pokey intake? Oh, look, it varies now because a lot of a lot of clubs took in some new pokies uh, like over the last year or so. 
Um, St Kilda does particularly bad with Epokies for some reason. I mean, really bad, apparently. I'm not sure if that's a good thing or a bad thing. It's not the best of things. Do, it's do morally they? good, financially crap. But, uh, in fact, give me a moment. I can pull those figures for you. Given I have a list of them somewhere. Of course you do. I have lists of everything somewhere. Do you have a list of lists? I <laughs> should have. Um, the, indust the industry forum has all this kind of crap in it because I, I watch this stuff like a hawk. Because um, I have no life when it comes down to it. But, um... That's what living yeah. in Adelaide does to you, kids. No, it's what working night shift for 15 hours a night, six days a week does to you. Uh, gaming revenue. Um, St Kilda uh, is on the bottom there with 2.2 million. The Bulldogs, 5.1. Richmond, 5.4. Essendon, 8.6. Melbourne, 11.2. Uh, the big clubs in that area, Collingwood, 22.1. Uh, Carlton, 19.7. Uh, Hawthorne, 18.4. So... And essentially, so that 10 million is, average. It probably works out to an average of about 11 or 12 million, yeah. which is where and Brisbane and Geelong are. What their profits make, I mean, it effectively floats floats most clubs in Victoria. Yeah, I mean, Carlton went from nine and a half million to 19 million in a year in poker machines, um, and without it, they would have made a loss this year. So. Does Geelong have? Does Geelong have pokies? Do Geelong have pokies? 13.7 million. Okay. Yeah, they're they're um, about mid range. Brisbane thirteen point four million, Melbourne eleven point two million. So is that sorry, is that is that just pokey revenue or is that revenue from the, the clubs themselves as they include it's gaming or is it just it's what list, they, just what they pull out of the machine. It's listed as gaming revenue, so it could yeah, be venue okay. revenue as well. Like yeah. from hospitality stuff within the venue. Well, meals and drinks yeah, and all could, that could be anything. But ultimately it's based on people sticking coins in a machine. Yeah, yeah. absolutely. Um, Just on Carlton, how much money did they lose on sausages? <laughs> That's not listed in their annual report. I can tell you, however, that we have now sourced every annual report from every club except Sydney and Gold Coast, um, and they don't appear to have lodged them last year, uh, this year for last year. So, But I can tell you that at the end of the day, um, Collingwood... Topped out uh, the revenue, obviously, 75 million. Hawthorne, 64. Essendon, 63. Carlton and Geelong, 57, 56. West Coast, 55. Fremantle, 46. St Kilda bringing up the bottom on 29 uh, million. Uh, GWS, if you're wondering, uh, came in at 31. 31.9. Uh, uh, made a $30,000 profit, according to their annual report, but that required $18 million from the AFL, uh, yes. about $7 million of which is not accounted in the club payments, so... They need they should open more kebab shops, the profits will shoot through the roof. It's a, it appears to be additional funding, which the it's AFL... Not, it's not cash flow from operations. That's exactly it. So uh, you can account for up to 10 to $12 million from the league, which is what the Bulldogs and uh, North Melbourne... And those clubs are getting at the moment anything more than that, and you're looking at extra funding that had to be put into the club. Um, yeah, in terms of profit losses, Collingwood made 16 million in profit. West Coast uh, 4.4 after its royalties were taken out. Uh, Fremantle made 650 grand after its royalties were taken out. Uh, go figure. North Melbourne turned a 1.3 million dollar profit. Richmond 3.3. 
and everyone else, uh, Carlton, five uh, half a million. Bulldogs lost 143,000. Essendon made a massive loss, 3.2 million, but a lot of that's us starter and AFL costs and fines and things. St Kilda lost 2.6 million. Adelaide lost 1.8. Port Adelaide 1.6. Uh, Collingwood and Freeman, all the big spenders in football, 22 million each. West Coast 21 and a half. And I can't tell you what Hawthorne spent because they've got a dodgy way of listing it. Adelaide have an even worse way of listing it. How, how do we list it? How dodgy is it? Well, I think you lift. I think you list your player wages separately, mm. and uh, so and I think you have administrative expenses that aren't listed that other clubs put in their football expenditure and things like that. Well, that'll be. We're obviously preparing to bypass the football expenditure salary cap. I, then, well, we? Hawth, Richmond do the same thing, so. Yeah. Uh, I guess they'll end up having to work out what's worse to pay, the lu- the luxury tax or fringe benefits tax. Membership revenue, which I know you've harped on a bit about, Messenger. Uh, but West, well, this is right. West Coast topped that, $17.7 million from its 58,000 members last year. Collingwood, $16.8 million from its 78,000 members last year. Fremantle coming in third with $12.7 million from its 45,000 members last year. Uh, Essendon, Hawthorne, Carlton and Adelaide uh, membership per revenue the West Coast and Fremantle way out on top if you're wondering average, well, average, want... average West Coast uh, member pays $302 per membership and average uh, Fremantle supporter will pay $290 per membership and, and I think the point I was trying to make in the footy industry board the other day is that that's that's what matters is how much you actually get per member. Mm. Not that you have, you know, not that whether they're a three-game member or whether they're actually a pot plant or or they pay for 18 games and for the top package in the corporate boxes is how many people can you engage with your football club, how much money do you get out of them and how many years in a row do you get it out of them. That's mm. the thing. Like, you know, that, that's, what you, that's what you want. You're not really worried about um, whether they pay 11 games or 18 games or three. Right, so the other thing uh, that came out uh, yesterday was the AFL's annual report. Um, revenue was right up, uh, $502 million up from $471 million, so they bumped it up by $30 million. That includes from its uh, subsidiaries and other operations. Uh, the AFL also owns and operates AFL Northern Territory, AFL Queensland, AFL New South Wales, ACT, and AFL Victoria, which last year also incorporated uh, the Victorian Country Football League for the first time. So the league kind of... And I think they also fund AFL Tasmania, but they don't own it at this point. Um, but, yeah, broadcasting and AFL media up uh, a fair bit, game development up a fair bit as well. So, yeah, payments to clubs up to $209 million from uh, $200 million. Well up from the forty-seven million it was in nineteen ninety-three. If you're wondering, uh, and I was. You, I, I was know. I know you were. I know you were riveted. Are they? Are they? Just looking at the cricket score. Collingwood. Uh, oh, really? Oh shit. Essendon. Here's here's one that will spin you out a little bit. Go. Uh, Western Bulldogs received the most money from the league. That doesn't really surprise anyone. Thirteen million, uh, thirteen point two million. This is the most accounted money, so not not including whatever GWS and Gold Coast may have got extra. Thirteen point two million, including their uh, their extra funding, which is things like signage and uh, porridge rights from Eddie had, and things like that. Um, so thirteen point two million. Collingwood, 
um, uh, came in, uh, sorry, Essendon came in second uh, with 13.1 million, and I'm not entirely sure how that was worked. The flight sensor, the hangar crap thing, whatever they're it, building? It, yeah, well, actually, it would have been. It would have been the extra funds they got from the club uh, stuff, but they actually got less from the club future fund than Melbourne did, who only got 12.8 million. Uh, Are they but, paying for James Hearn's MBA in France? <laughs> yeah, maybe. Maybe. St Kilda took in uh, 3.2 million in other funding as well. But uh, yeah, interesting, inter- interesting stuff. In- mm. Interesting stuff. Mm-hmm. Uh, total players around the country, 938,069 in terms of total participation, of which uh, 321,280 are club registered players around the country. And big boys and wowies have increased. Exponentially by 300%. It, it, it would appear to be more than likely. Um, mm-hmm. Lastly, uh, before we start to uh, sign off, Messenger, Dale Garlett. It's, it's well, March. Well, it's, yeah. it's early. He's um, probably coming to terms with being in a professional football environment. Um, I gather there are rumours of his extracurricular nightclub activities. Well, let's leave them as rumours, but he's, he's, he's been... It's the first time he's been in, in a professional football environment uh, at AFL level, and uh, I think he's probably finding it a little bit, little bit difficult. He's a long way from home, but uh, I don't think the club's chucking in the towel with him yet, and uh, as much as uh, everybody was had him on the first plane back to Perth, he was a training the day mm. the rumours came out, and he was at the club on the weekend as well, so um, it's uh, it ain't over till it's over. It does. If history is any judge, though, messenger, you've got to admit players don't come back from this very often. Uh, mm. Well, he could have been scared straight. I mean, Clarkson will probably give him a massive spray. Clarkson will and... probably well, punch see, him at some point. That, but... I don't know that that's the way they're dealing with him at all. I think they're just saying these are the standards that you you have to be able to keep to to play league football, and we'll provide you with an environment to do it. And and basically, look, he's either going to make it or he's not. Would they have a Would they have a minder for him, similar to what? Well, pretty much what Carmichael Hunt did to Harley Bennell, just not with piss, more with homesickness. Just well, someone who just who'd be there, who can room with him, just keep him calm and all that crap I mean clubs have got a lot better at player welfare than they were perhaps 15 or 20 years ago so it's also about the expectations he has to meet for the club about how he presents to training presenting on time the effort, the amount of effort he puts in on the training track um, you know he wouldn't be probably the first person who's had difficulty in this regard but, um, you know, if, if any club's going to make it work, it's going to be Hawthorne. Yeah. And, if they, and again, it, most of it's up to, it's up to Garlett, really. I mean, he's got to want to do it. Okay. Just, uh... But by the same token, if, if he doesn't, then I think history also says that nobody's going to bother with him after this. That's it. He, can, he may as well go off and play at Swan Districts for the rest of his life. Okay. Very quickly moving along... Uh... Clubs are apparently afraid that the veterans' uh, allowance will go, and that will cut short the careers of, uh, well, veterans, apparently. 
um, and this would affect in particular uh, Geelong, who have six veterans on their list this season, and who had nine last year, uh, last season. Uh, the Sydney Swans, who had five veterans, and Essendon, who had four. Um, these will be the biggest uh, beneficiaries of the veterans' rules. Apparently, the league is going to scrap it. They'll have to grandfather it, surely. Maybe. I'm not really... Like I said, it depends on how their contracts are are, uh, structured. I think that's what Sanderlands is paid under as well. Um, And his is grandfathered from years ago. So, new life members for the league, apparently. uh, Joel Corey, uh, Chris Scott, uh, John Longmire, Lenny Hayes, umpire Brett Roseberry. Fanny Orr's messenger... Uh, yeah. He's not Darren Golsky. <laughs> and uh, and uh, Ryan O'Keefe, apparently, all qualified automatically during the 2013. Life membership was also given to AFL Medical Commissioner and former North Melbourne Medico Dr. Harry Unk and uh, former Western Bulldogs Club President David Smorgan, uh, 16 years president at the Bulldogs, and St Kilda Premiership player and long-time administrator Brian Sirikowski. Ah. Uh, so there's a name... Haven't heard it for a while. That's a good enough name to yell out. The James, uh, the Jack Titus Award for conspicuous service to the game will be presented to the Adelaide Crows' Barry Downs, who has been involved continuously at club level in SA since 1952. So, mm. good for him. Barry Hall was appointed to the Swans Hall of Fame, apparently. <laughs> um, Is that the angry... Person wing. I think the one that held the cup up. I think that's probably what they That's the memory. Yeah. So um, there is uh, that. Um, I'm just very quickly looking for other news. But uh, someone replaced Kevin Bartlett. The thing was... Ah, Kevin Bartlett. Who who's replaced him? John no, Warsfold. Yeah, oh yeah. yeah. Well, there's a couple others, but John Warsfold was the name that stood out to me. Yeah, look, I, 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 I was saying this earlier in in, in the uh, in the podcast, but uh, Dimitri got a lot of crap for uh, the, the rule changes. What about Kevin Bartlett, who headed up, who well didn't head it up, but he was on the rules committee for twenty years, and a, and a lot of the rule changes that we all despise have come from the committee in that time. He became senile, and he jo- and he tried to. He became senile. He was senile in nineteen eighty one. Not true, but it's just. <laughs> it was like... They just, they were trying to justify their jobs every year, saying, oh, we need to change this, oh, we need to change that. Just keep the rules the same. I mean, the reason why the umpire and shit is because they are re- doing a new rule every year and every week. They have continuously tried to balance the contradictory desires <laughs> to make the game more open, yet slow it down. Mm. All right, and lastly... I had something. Where was it? Come back. Come back to me. Who do you think? Gonna... left. Who do you think? <laughs> what was that? The caller's gone. Yeah. Um. Along with the the veterans allowance that will probably end up going, and and the attempts to make uh, the salary cap a more pure salary cap without exceptions and whatnot. Uh, the cola will apparently be uh, scrapped, which the Swans aren't overly happy about. But I think they're the ones to blame for it. So. Coke you know. Zero. Well, I, th- I think you uh, take, you know, it's give them an inch and you take a mile kind of territory here. I think if they 
taken Tippett and left it at that. They might have got away with it for a little bit longer, but once you start pulling players from all over the joint, yeah, it was never going to last. Have you ever bought a latte in, in Bondi? My God, it's like $5.50. <laughs> oh, that's it's the not, same. It's, it's everywhere else on right. the world. Uh, you know. Uh, Joel Bowden, apparently, is the favourite to replace Finnis at the AFLPA. Uh, former yes. Richmond former Richmond player, I think. That's nice, dear. And uh, Brendan Gale, one of the uh, forerunners to replace Demetrio, along with McLaughlin. So... Isn't it really... They're going to end up giving it to Gil McLaughlin, aren't they? I, th- I think the deal's already done. I think... Uh, Romping Wins' brother will be in charge. Yeah, but he's a different man to Romping Wins, so he's a... Uh, I don't know. It'll it'll it's, it'll be an interesting time. Credit Wamping Rins suddenly. I, I, I saw some sorry. I saw some stuff about uh, Demetrio should have stood down now, which uh, James Brayshaw was advocating today. I think he's deliberately not doing so because uh, we'll see the Asada stuff handed down this year while Demetrio's still here, and that'll give McLaughlin a clean uh, start for next season. He did also why, uh, one of the things points Demetrio made is that. He actually served as CD, CEO designate, I guess, uh, under Wayne Jackson for Wayne Jackson's last year. So there's precedent. They could easily name Gil McLaughlin or, or whomever in uh, in a few weeks and then have him be uh, the uh, right-hand man, I guess, during years for, for the rest of the season. Well, Demetra also told uh, 360 on Monday night that he was going to stand down last year but stayed on through the Essendon thing as well. So yeah. it, it makes sense that he'd stay on until the end of it and uh, that's what I think is happening at the moment. I think he'll stay on. I think Dimitri, I, th- I think McLaughlin's had enough of an apprenticeship while he was away last year. So, mm-hmm. But uh, I, I, that's why I think there was no real big deal, no real comment to make from uh, Demetrio when he got back about him being away. I think you either trust yeah. the people that... And that's why Anderson left. Anderson's now at Cycling Australia, and good for him, you know. <laughs> He's high-profile high now, Andrew and Anderson. So, uh... <laughs> yeah. The man St. Kilda didn't hire. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> but Can it's... It, Adrian Anderson with anything? There are worse people out there. Ben Buckley. <laughs> but, uh, look, I guess that's all the news. That's all I've got. Guys, was there anything else you wanted to bring up before we sign off? Yes, no, no, no. it's oh. Jack Stephen S T E V E N, not Stevens. What, what? Please get it right for the love of holy crap! S- seems to be a little bit vehement there. Yeah, you're a bit, you're a bit tense, mate. But uh, you okay? you've been holding on to that one for a while. Yeah, it's just it's the most annoying thing on Big Footy. Oh, look, it's, but it's a shame Jack Stevens is injured, and I hope he gets better. Well, see, the most annoying thing for me on Big Footy is West Australians. That's, that's they're what, funny. That's not the most annoying thing for me on Big Footy is. Hello to everyone in Perth. Enjoy your chicken treat tonight. Mum, well, Dad. Quality posting. Uh, all right. Well, Messenger, you got nothing? You done? I got nothing. I just hope Jack Stevens gets better. Um, <laughs> There's a twitch developing in his ears. Yeah. Uh, no, look, nothing much. I'm going to go down to Casey on Saturday and... Uh, Get stabbed. Well, I was hoping I'd watch a bit of football at some point, but maybe once I'm recovering from my first wound, I don't know. But anyway... While he's lining up for a pie. 
Play it for a pile, <laughs> something like that, yes. Just keep an eye on Dale Guy, let him up, pop into one of those Cranman drug dealerships. <laughs> Alright guys, thank you very much for uh, coming on tonight and talking about what has been some very big issues for uh, the sport this week. Uh, good night, Messenger. Good night, one and all. And good night, Cookson. Sayonara, y'all. And hopefully next week, uh, the Pikers that pulled out from this week will be on and uh, we'll be out. I, I do wish we'd had Prosecutor on tonight to talk about some of the stuff that had gone on. I know. But, it's, uh, it's air to women troubles. It's... Um, and even SM to chat about the cola would have been good, but uh, no. It's just us, those of us who have no stake in pretty much any of the stuff that was talked about tonight. Or a life, for that matter. Uh, or ever, really. So, yeah. Yeah. But good night from me, and we'll see you all on the forums. All right.